Welcome to the sixth episode of Before the Come Up. I'm your host, GT Savanike. In this podcast, I sit down with a different member of the Columbia Business School class of 2023 each week. I learn about their backgrounds, their upbringings, and things that motivate them and drive them. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get right into it. I am so excited to be joined by John Scalamandre. Welcome. Hey, GT. How's it going, man? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. So let's dive right into today's episode. Firstly, where are you from? And what was it like growing up as John? Yeah, absolutely, man. So I grew up out on Long Island, not not too far from our, our campus right here. Um, you know, grew up, uh, it, you know, middle class family uh, in a community that, you know, was was predominantly white out on Long Island, out in Mount Sinai. And, you know, I, I always really appreciated, you know, being, you know, from that sort of community, the fact that my parents had me in church at a young age, and within that church, I was exposed to so many different cultures, and and I think that really helped give me perspective as I, I you know, as I moved along through my, you know, career and through school, and um, you know, it's it's always been nice to have that that vast array of perspectives. Mm-hmm. And when you were living in Long Island. What I, I'm always very interested about the relationship between Long Island and New York City. Mm, um, yeah. Did it feel like that was something on your doorstep or did that feel like something like a world away? So it's, it's one of those things where you're constantly living in the shadow of the city. And it's like, for me, it was very surreal every time I would come out here. So like basically my family, what, once a year we would, you know, around Christmas time, come into the city, my aunt and uncle would come, we'd all meet up in Penn Station, and then we would walk from Penn Station up to the large tree in Rockefeller Center, and then we'd like go out to dinner. And that was my entire city experience from the age of probably like five years old until I was 14, 15, 16. And I don't know, like from the time I was that age, that young age, I was like, I am going to live here one day. Wow. I love it. I love the energy. I, I love the people. Um, it, it, my parents would say, no, you're crazy. You don't want to live out in the city, like whatever. And I, I was like, no, like I'm going to do it. And so I remember when I, when I first moved to Brooklyn a few years ago, it was really, it, it felt like the culmination of so many things for me. Um, even just being, you know, like, an hour away on Long Island, it was still so so surreal and yeah, wild. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so you have a very interesting name. It kind of rolls off the tongue. It's, it seems like it's got a few stories in there. So tell us about it. It's something I've been asking all my guests, and I, I keep getting surprised by the answers. So I'm going to just keep asking it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really, I want to first, I know like Scalamandre is like the more interesting part of the name, but I'm going to focus on the John first. Yes, so, let's do that. Um, so, so honestly, like, so I'm John Scalamandre Jr., which would imply like, obviously my dad is John. Um, but even further than that, my grandpa is actually John too, which is wow. kind of weird. Cause then people are like, oh, shouldn't you be the third? <laughs> like this and that. I'm like, right. nah, like. We had a different middle name, but so my grandfather, um, he was born and raised in Italy, um, you know, born in 1938, so grew up really during that World War II period, um, had a lot of memories from that, and he was Giovanni Battista Scalamandre, which, you know, comes over to America, and that translates to John. And um, I would say, like, like, the story behind my name with him, like, I appreciate so much, like, the efforts that he made to get here, to build a life, to, you know, work in construction. For 50 years, he helped pour a lot of the concrete for the highways out on Long Island. So, like, on that end, I'm, I'm really proud of the John for, for him and then also for my father, who has, like, that same sort of grind it till you make it work, work ethic. Um, and then on, on the other end with, like, the Scalamandre. So... Scala specifically in Italian, I know translates to ladder. And so actually, I, I don't know, you, 
probably haven't seen it. I don't know if you have, but so I have a tattoo on this side of my chest mm -hmm. that is a ladder. Sometimes I'll mess with people and I'll tell them <laughs> it's a Roman numeral four <laughs> and see if they say anything. And then I'm like, okay, you're my real friend. You're not my real friend. You didn't say anything. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, so I, I have uh, basically my, my grandpa, when I was probably 17, 18, showed me this family crest ring. And so it was, it was a blue background with like a little gold ladder on it. And that sort of like spoke to me in a way of like, okay, like, you know, I, the way that I took it was like, this is the ladder that I can use to climb and like that I have to climb in order to make the best out of my own life. Like, how can I use this? How can I better myself? Um, so, you know, obviously the tattoo is a funny story too. I ended up, uh, so my, my dad had always said, oh, like, if you get a tattoo, I will kick you out of the house. And so like, wow, I mean, naturally, <laughs> naturally, one year I had gone down to um, Ultra Miami. And then when I got down there, my friend who I was supposed to go with was like, I'm not going. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna go alone. So I'll sell my ticket. And then being down in Miami with an extra, you know, ultra tickets worth of money in my pocket, I was like, you know what, like, let's go get tattoos. <laughs> and so got, you know, the family crest tattoo, it was very meaningful. I had the artist make it out of concrete because I felt like that tied back to the construction and then everything my grandpa had done. And so get back home, I'm like around for a few months and whatever. And then, you know, my dad owned his own business. He was a physical therapist and had his own practice. So I would go in to work with him here and there for extra money between McDonald's and Starbucks and like all the other places I was working. And one day I, I was working there with him. And so, you know, I'm like walking around da, 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 and I've hidden the tattoo for probably like three months now, wow. which is hard for me. Right, I'm, right. I'm not good with secrets. I'm sure. not good at hiding stuff. Like it's really bad. And so walking through the office and I was wearing a polo and like, I don't know why, but I was in like going out mode. So, you know, you had the extra button down slightly and I was like feeling myself. <laughs> and, and so like I walk past him and I see him like aim his head um, and turn like horizontally where like we're parallel to each other, I guess. Right. Parallel. And I see like his expression just change, like bam. And I'm like, oh shoot, you know what just happened. He just saw that and that that's gonna be it. And so I immediately, I ran to the front desk. I was like talking to the receptionist. I was like, guys, I, I, I need to leave. I don't feel good. And <laughs> went home, get to my mom. I'm like, mom, you can't let me kick him out as I show her like the tattoo. Did she know at the time? Well, that was also when she found oh, that out. That was when she first found out. I was like, I was like, this is, this is the moment. Um, but yeah, no, that, that, that tattoo like really ties back to my name and like just that ladder, that sort of um, like idea of being able to climb and eventually reach the best version of yourself. I guess that's how I kind of view that meaning behind my name. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, my grandpa wanted to, when I showed him, he wanted to grate it off with a Parmesan cheese grater. That was his response. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. I mean, relatable. Italian. <laughs> yeah. My parents are also very you know, strict about tattoos and the likes, but yeah, that, that's a cool story. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, okay. So now just to kind of dive a little bit deeper, I'm so curious to learn about what were some of the challenges you had growing up? Yeah. Um, so this is definitely, definitely a big one for me. Um, so growing up, you know, I, I played sports throughout, you know, elementary, middle, high school, and was also like very musical. Um, and I don't know. So like something changed around like seventh, eighth grade. I, I grew up on the chubbier side as well. And so around that time, like something had changed in my mind where I was like, I, I need to, whatever reason, like, I, I think it was like to try and like attract girls or like this and that. I was like, I need to like get in shape. I need to like be thinner. I need to like not be the chunky kid in class anymore, be the heavy kid. And so over time, what that turned into was I, I ended up developing an eating disorder during uh, my seventh and eighth grade year. 
And, you know, that really was a major challenge from the time I was, you know, in eighth grade, give or take, until basically I was done with school. My weight would fluctuate from, you know, like I went from probably 150 pounds to 100, and then it would be like, okay, you are basically like, you have body dysmorphia, which basically means like um, that you aren't able to see yourself in the mirror as you actually appear, like your body or your mind will trick you into saying, okay, like I'm five, six, a hundred pounds as like a man, but I am fat, I'm like not in shape, I don't look good, this and that. And that was something that was really a struggle for me that whole time because I, I would go from hundred pounds to then by the time I was in 10th grade, I was 180 pounds, still like 5'4", went completely the other way, and then came all the way back down to 100 pounds in 11th grade, and then finally like found my outlet, which at that time was like working out and, and going to the gym and really, you know, exerting that um, pressure that I would put on myself to look good and feel good and like whatever on the gym. And you know, it, in a way, it's like, it's a vicious cycle because like you end up doing this thing where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. And then at some point your body is like, I need nutrients, so you binge eat. And then you're like, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna eat, right. binge eat. And that also like psychologically puts a lot of pressure on you because you start to feel like, okay, I, I can't control this thing that is so base to our human nature. Like I can't control eating. Um, so so that, was, that was a major struggle for me and it took a very long time for me to actually, I feel like, get through it because even the, um, the working out compulsively was like a different expression of the same thing. It's something that like, I, I can't say that I'm, I don't think anyone's ever fully through it, um, but it, it was it was challenging, man. Um, it it really hurt a lot of my friendships when I was that age because a lot of like our communal how we make friends, how we do things, is, it's based on like eating with people. It's right. like okay, I'm going to like we're going to sit around the table, we're gonna chat, and we're gonna grab some you know Taco Bell and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So like that that put a lot of pressure, and then yeah. And yeah. So that, thank you so much for thing. sharing, and thank you so much for being vulnerable with us. I really appreciate that. So now I'm curious to hear, um, it sounds like you had a very interesting and rich upbringing. I'm very curious to hear what were some of the best things of having your upbringing? Yeah. Um, so I think some of the best things about my upbringing, like I loved how exposed I was just to music and, and sports at a young age, but specifically music, man. Like I, I started playing piano when I was five years old. Um, I, I love like, that instrument, I still love classical music when I'm able to hear it. I know that I put out the electronic music all the time thing, but like I, I really do enjoy a diverse array of music. Um, and then even beyond that, like as I got older, you know, I, I learned guitar and I started to get involved with um, the band, the youth band at my church. And that, that was just a really cool experience as well because I was able to travel around with some of my close friends at the time and we would go to like play a church in New Jersey and, and just have a road trip out of it and make a good time of it and jam out together or even like um, one time my friend Paul he, he hit me up and he's like hey this this church in Jamaica Queens wanted to like see if I could come out and play will you just like back me up and I remember like not practicing at all <laughs> just like heading out there being like okay we're gonna make this work and, and you know you, you make it work so it was that exposure was amazing and then you know so I grew up on Long Island in Mount Sinai which is very close to Stony Brook which is uh, the university that I went to Stony Brook University and um, so my grandparents actually lived very close to A1, my hometown, and then also they lived in Stony Brook. So they were very close to the university. And I think one of the really cool things growing up, especially having, you know, my dad had his own business. He was working 80 hours a week plus. My mom, um, she is a school nurse and she would do home care. So she, she was 
around, but it was really nice to have like my grandparents as that second set of like mentors and, and guidance. And like, I, I remember I, I loved the fact, especially during college, like if I, you know, had a break in classes and some of my friends weren't around and I just wanted to like escape for a little bit, I would just go over to grandma and grandpa's, noni and nonos and go see them and like hang out for a bit and try and fight off all the food that they were trying to feed me. And it, it, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a really great experience. Yeah. And I, I think it, it helped me appreciate them so much more and, and yeah, just, just really helped me have like a cool experience growing up. Awesome. Um, growing up, what did you want to be when you got older? When you were a kid, do you have like a clear idea or did it change every day? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, you know, I, I think everyone kind of has like that. I want to be a sports player. I want to be a soccer player or like a football player, baseball player when they're really young. But then after I got past that phase and like thinking that I maybe wanted to do music as well, once it was time to be like, okay, let's pick a real job. I had no clue, man. And that was like, so when I was an undergrad, basically I, I looked around and I was like, okay, like what, um, what seems like a career path that can let me almost go into anything because I still don't know what I want to do at this point. And so I looked at that and I was like, you know what? Like, I think business makes a lot of sense. And, you know, from there really it, it turned into like just observing the people around me and, and, you know, having mentors like my uncle, my uncle is a pastor and then he's also like an intellectual. So he's currently doing his PhD at the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, and he's studying like the intersection of theology and economics, which I think is like so such a weird like intersection, but it's cool. And so he was like a strong mentor on me from that time where I was like, you know, I'm going to do business, I think, where, you know, as I was going through that process, he was like telling me, hey, JJ, accounting is the language of business and finance is the application. So, I, you know, as I was going through those college years, I was like, you know what, like I'll focus on accounting. I'll, I'll try and figure out what how, how I can learn this. And at that point, he also started feeding into me again because when I was little when I was really little my uncle he had gone to Harvard and so he was like JJ one day you're gonna go to you're gonna be Ivy League you're gonna be Ivy League this was like when I was five ten wow. whatever and so he started feeding that back into me around the time I was an undergrad and so I, I started to you know think ahead like okay you know what can I do now that's going to set me up for this Columbia experience uh -huh. that we're in now. And, and I, I have like these five-year plan documents from a few years ago wow. where it's like, you know, get into Columbia. And to look back now, it's like there may, might be like 10 things on that list and like maybe you get seven of them done. But it, it's surreal to look back at it. But no. In terms of did I know what I wanted to do? Absolutely not. I That's still like so cool. And you kind of dropped a few breadcrumbs there. So tell us a little bit about your career before CVS. Um, you mentioned accounting and kind of trying to um, make that path that your uncle had kind of inspired. So tell us about your path to CVS. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start at the beginning. So my, my first job, I worked in a McDonald's, you know, inside of a Walmart. And I remember I would go into uh, my music theory class and the music theory teacher who was also my uh, chorus teacher. He would make fun of me incessantly day after day. He'd be like a McDonald's inside of a Walmart. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, like it's, it works for me. But so we did that for a bit. And then after I was done with that, I moved on to Starbucks, which was a real step up. I became addicted to coffee there, still am. Um, and then, then from there, I, I, I kind of floated around a little bit, did an internship at, at Senator Schumer's office before getting into accounting. Very cool. I'm a political junkie, so that's so cool too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's, uh, it's an interesting job working in his office, I would say the least. Like lots of research, lots of fielding calls from constituents and thinking through how to apply different policies. Um, but obviously being like 19 at the time, you have no idea what you're doing. I was just like, let me give them information. Right. Um, 
But then, then eventually, I, I as I decided I was going to go into accounting, um, I started working at this mid-sized firm out on Long Island, and, and it was a really great experience just to be able to, you know, have all of my classes, be able to play rugby while on campus, and also be able to, you know, work probably 20, 30 hours a week, give or take, in an accounting office and get that experience. And then from there, you know, once I was done at uh, Stony Brook, I moved on to KPMG within their risk consulting practice, specifically focusing on internal audit uh, work and doing Sarbanes-Oxley testing. Basically, all that means is, you know, we were helping companies either test or implement controls. And so, you know, a simple version, I guess, of a control would be, you know, it, it's meant to prevent financial loss. So like, if you're a cashier at a uh, Starbucks and once the cash register hits, you know, $1,000 in the register, you're supposed to take out 800 of that, put it into a safe, lock the safe. That's like a very simple method, but that, that's a control in a way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, during that time at KPMG, I just tried to do everything I could to basically like have every experience I could. So I was planning happy hours for our group. I was trying to lead initiatives. I was trying to like get my hands dirty in every way I can because I just feel like that helps me be the best version of myself. And also at, at this point, I still wanted to, you know, get into Columbia. So I had to be like, okay, I'm doing this and that and this and you know. So it, it, it was a really cool experience and I got exposure to a lot of different companies. I got to see how, you know, one of the largest private equity firms in the world runs their real estate and income trust. Um, got to see how small medical technology startups are trying to disrupt that space now. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so cool, yeah. so cool. Um, you. You know, if anyone meets you, they can tell straight away you're a very passionate person. Um, I'm curious to hear about your passions. Tell me about those things that kind of get you going, the things that make you tick. Yeah, dude. So I, it, you kind of heard it a little bit so far, but it's music. It's it's definitely music. Um, so, God, when did I get into? Obviously, I got into music when I was really young, um, with the piano, with the guitar, with everything else, and then. Once I hit a certain age, you know, I, I go through phases with music. Mm. So I went through like my Vans Warp Tour phase when I was like from 13 to probably 15, 16 ish. Went through my like Eminem phase, went through like a nice little Kendrick phase, like, and then, real, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things that I, I think, like, even going through now, I, I, I'm not sure it's a phase anymore at this point, but it this, like, electronic <laughs> music phase that I've been on for the last few years. But yeah, I think, that, yeah. So I think initially, my, my initial exposure to electronic music was probably like Skrillex back when Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites was a thing, however many years ago. And then from there, one of my best friends during high school, um, he had asked me to go to EDC one year in New York when they still had that. And, you know, went to the festival, had an absolute blast. And then actually was out of it for about two years. I, I was still like more into singer songwriter, John Mayer, rap. And then in 2016, when I was at Stony Brook, I actually, um, met a group of friends through rugby and, and, and through other areas where I, we had decided to go to a festival together, Mysteryland, which is actually upstate, in, or it was upstate in New York, about an hour where the original Woodstock Festival was held, wow. which was actually a really cool thing for me because my grandma actually went to Woodstock way back when, so it was kind of surreal to be like, oh, I'm like at a festival on the same grounds. And so at that festival, you know, we had an amazing time, the, the five friends that I went with. And from there, it was just, okay, like this group of friends, we are going to like go to festivals and go to electronic music and raves together. And that sort of grew into a whole community at Stony Brook called Stony Brook Raves, where, you know, it started, I, I would say, probably later that year to early the next year. 
And we built that over the time we were at Stony Brook from a group of like 25, 50 people to like 500 plus. And so, like, now when I go to these shows, it's so much of a communal experience between, like, those friends and I, um, and, and even, like, those friends that I went to that Mysteryland Festival with, one of them I live with today, one of them I lived with when I first moved to Brooklyn, they, I see them probably once a week, if not more, um, so it really brought me some of the, the, the best friends in my life. And then one more thing on music just in general that, that makes me so passionate about it. I really do feel like music is like the universal uh, connector in a way where, you know, if I'm able to listen to something that GT loves and I can like see why you love it, I'm going to love that music no matter what because like I can see how the emotion of it affects you, how like you know, you're able to empathize and appreciate it, like that allows me to see more into you and see more what you're about and like connect with you in a way. So I'll even enjoy like country music on occasion, even though I'm like very much an anything but country guy, because I've had friends who, you know, I'll be in a car listening to them, listening to it with them. And I'm like, you know, why, why do you like this? You know, what, what, what do you enjoy about this? And they'll, they'll tell you like, hey, like, you know, I just really enjoy songs about like yesterday my dog died. And, then, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, okay, that's good. Like I, I can see that and I can feel that. So like, yeah, I think it's the universal connector. I got you, I got you. So tell me a little bit more, man. Cause like for me, it's a little alien. Personally, I have not really had exposure um, to that kind of music and the kind of scene. So to someone who literally knows nothing about it, flip the question to you like why do you like it and what are the things that kind of just get you going and like what yeah. are the things about it that make not only just you but the people who are in this culture so like so about it like so with it kind of explain a little bit yeah i think i think it's a one it's one of those cultures where like you start out with the the basics right you start out with your zed your calvin harris your um god zed calvin harris like those sorts of djs that are larger diplo that are um, more well known and then you start to dabble in a little bit of like house music you see like a chris lake show you see a fisher show you hear i'm losing it when you're at a festival and, I'm, and you're like oh my god this is like really energetic the crowd everyone around me is dancing they're all enjoying themselves they're having a good time so i think it's 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 the wide array of emotions that you can get through electronic music as, as well as like the wide array of of genres and subgenres that fall within that i guess where um you know i'll be at a festival and and i will be singing along with the crowd and I'll feel the emotion from everyone around me and I'll feel the energy. And I think it's that that keeps me coming back even beyond like just enjoying the pure music itself because that, that energy being able to like be surrounded by people that are happy, that are smiling, that are, you know, if it's, if it's a sad song, like one song that always hits people no matter what, um, throughout at least like the EDM rave community, whatever, is uh, the song by Slander called Love Is Gone. And like, you will be at a show and there'll be like, on one side of you, there'll be a couple that's making out as if like there aren't 10,000 people around them just going at it. And then on the other side of you, there'll be someone crying. And then in front of you, there'll be two best friends holding each other. And I think it's it's that sort of energy that, that keeps me coming back to it and keeps probably a lot of us coming back to it. And and beyond that, like there's, you know, there's dubstep, like your Skrillex or excision type stuff. There's house music, there's trance, which Chris Dietrich loves trance. He's, he's a big trance guy. Um, there's uh, mid-tempo, like your, your res. There, there's so much within it. And I think that, you know, as someone who does appreciate bands, does appreciate like some old Zeppelin, some like Guns N' Roses, some ACDC, I think that you're able to do that much more with a computer instead of having like 
10 inch, like five instruments going at once and having like one on a delay pedal and looping. So you really have like 10 instruments. You could have a thousand instruments going on at once in a production. Um, so I think the complexity of it also, in a way, even though like from a music theory standpoint, it's not so complex, but the amount of engineering that I guess goes into it as well is like really cool to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that passion of yours. What I want to ask you next is about what motivates you. I, from just watching the way you operate, you operate with a lot of vigor, intentionality, you're on a mission. It's, it's very clear to see what motivates you, John. Yeah. Um, so in the end, it, it really comes down to, you know, the people that came before me. It comes down to my grandpa came to this country. Um, in, and in order to give, you know, my father and my grandmother a better life, he worked his butt off in construction, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks for 50 years until he was 65. So probably like, I guess around 45, 50 years, but he, he, he worked his butt off to provide my father with a better life. And then my father, you know, being an entrepreneur, he, he worked his butt off to try and provide me with a better life. And I feel like it's my duty to them to, you know, take all that they've given me and turn that into, you know, providing a better life for my children. And so that's really what motivates me and like the thing that's always pushing me in the back of my head, like, okay, like, you know, that it's really what's motivating me to go into say banking rather than pursuing something else. I'm like, I, I have a, a, a debt to those who came before me to provide a better life. And so I, I, I remember I was having this like conversation with someone last night where, you know, it's interesting what our society incentivizes in a way where you'll have people that are, you know, performing research that could, you know, save lives. I, I have a friend who's, um, at Harvard right now, and he's like doing his PhD, doing research on basically how to cure cancer. He's making a 30,000 a year stipend. And, you know, all of us here at, at CBS, we're going to leave and we're probably going to be making a lot more than that coming out. And we're not, most of us aren't doing anything super crazy. We're playing with PowerPoint and Excel doing consulting, or we're playing with PowerPoint and Excel doing banking. <laughs> And like, I think the motivation for me to go into banking, it's, it's built upon that, you know, idea that I want to, you know, be the best version of myself, build a better life for my family and children because of the debt that I owe to my parents and grandparents. But I think it's, it's kind of sad in a way that, you know, at this point in my life, I feel like the best way to do that is to go into like a field like investment banking. I, I think that it's kind of necessary in a way for our society to figure out a way to rebalance that. And I don't know how that comes except for from the top down, but yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing that's kind of been going on in my head lately and circling around. I think, you know, that's what's motivating me to go into investment banking. Um, and then even, even beyond that, not to get too into like that side of things. It, all the cool things that all of our classmates are doing, they're also like really inspiring to me. Like, I, I really think it's amazing when, you know, ha you have an MD, MBA, like Emily Chang, who uh, I'm like, you know, you really had to do the MB, MD and the MBA. You, you had to, you had to really flex on us like that. <laughs> um, like, so the cool stuff that like people like Emily are doing that those um, that are going into like, social impact and social enterprise are doing, the entrepreneurs in our class, like, you know, th there's so many cool people here. And I think that environment pushes us all to be better. Um, so, so those are some of the things that motivate yeah, me. Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's very humbling, but also so exciting to be here with such incredible people, get to interact with them on a daily basis. I want to ask though, is there one person before you came to CBS or maybe what, as you're here at CBS, is there one person who inspires you or you look up to? Yeah. 
Um, so, so really, like, even more so over the past year, it, it has to be my mom's. Um, so, you know, growing up, so she, she's a little woman. She's like 4'11", 95 pounds. She's tiny. Maybe, probably 4'10 now. She's like shrinking. <laughs> but uh, so, so she always, no matter what, was just like the level one in our family, like always there for everyone, willing to be like, uh, willing to serve willing to go out of her way to make sure that, you know, everyone in the family was taken care of, never complaining, just a very strong woman. And then over the last year, um, so, so my grandfather passed recently in over the summer. And I just remember she took care of everything from end to end. So, so he had been diagnosed with cancer back last November. And from there, it was just like, she basically took you know, a lot of time off from her job as a school nurse and just started taking him to all his appointments, take, making sure that, you know, when the doctor told them something that they were actually understanding and processing it in the right way and, and really handling all of that weight of the cancer. And then when he passed, like all of the funeral arrangements and everything else, she, she took that all on her. And like, it was just amazing to me that she did all of that without, you know, asking for any thanks, without, you know, and a complaint, with without anything. So she she is an amazing woman. I hope to one day be as strong as her. Um, but I'm not there yet. Incredible. <laughs> Striving. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, I'm just gonna give you some space to share a story with the class. This can be a fun story, a sad story, an interesting story. Just share a story with the class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know we touched a, we, we've touched a little bit on music before, just just a smidge. <laughs> but uh, so back, you know, when when I was around sixteen, I uh, decided to try out for American Idol. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it was it was definitely an interesting experience end to end, and so. I remember at the time um, they were doing their auditions out in Newark in New Jersey at the Prudential Center. And, you know, so I had decided, you know, this was going to be it. My mom drove me out there and we stayed overnight. And then, then when the morning came, uh, so actually we'll backtrack a little bit, but the night before I was, I was so nervous. I had like stomach ache all night, didn't end up sleeping at all. And then the next morning we get to the Prudential Center and the way that it's set up is pretty funny because like if you have the entire um, dome or whatever of the stadium, the, the circle, the oval, whatever it is, um, they fill up like one quarter, if not one eighth of the seats in the stadium fully with everyone who shows up and then they like pan the camera in such a way where it looks like, oh man, the entire stadium is full when you watch it on TV, but it's really just like a tiny, tiny portion of the stadium. So, so that was, you know, interesting the day of, and then basically how they were running it this time at the Prudential Center was you would walk out into the center of the arena and they had eight tables set up in the center of the arena. And you would walk up, you would be put into a group of four and walk up to one of the eight tables and basically sing in, in like one after the other. Mm -hmm. And so at any point, there would be eight people singing at the same time. Wow. So like, I remember, honestly, okay, so American Idol, I don't remember exactly what song I did that time. Um, but basically I remember I, I tried to like angle my voice off of the ground a bit so that I could like get a feel for, okay, am I on pitch? Am I high? Am I low? Like, where am I? And so as soon as I'm done, they're like, you did a great job, but it doesn't seem like you have confidence. You were looking at the ground wow. and I was like, no, that wasn't it. Like I was just trying to hear myself. And so obviously, you know, I, I didn't get in. There was like some dude with like a big bird costume on. He got through, don't know how. American Idol producers, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> but, and then I also ended up trying out for The Voice, which was a much more pleasant experience. Um, so that was at the Javits Center over on the West Side. And 
basically how they do it or how they did it at the time was they would pull you into a room with like a group of 12 and rather than having like eight people singing at the same time next to each other they uh, would have one person go at a time and so for that one I sung uh, When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars wow, nice. and I, I thought I did a really good job with it but what I did was I, I took like a conservative approach I went very much true to like the original and someone else actually had prepared the same song and they were much more you know flamboyant wow, and all over the chances. place and took a lot of, yeah no I, I was i was like you gotta be kidding me but it, it was a popular song at the time and uh so so they actually ended up getting through and i didn't and and you know like in the end it was just a really fun experience one of my friends from high school was there with me so she ended up trying out too and i thought she had like a way better voice than me like a way better voice and, and she didn't get through either so it was it's it was a cool experience and it's fun to you know test those musical talents in a different way and just see you never know you you, you could be the next american idol so. literally you know that's so cool and yeah of course those shows it, it's so interesting to get like a, a view into like the behind the scenes right because obviously what we see on tv is probably like 10% of what oh, yeah. actually goes down on those shows. So thank you so much for sharing. I was really hoping Simon Cowell would yell at me, but... <laughs> Who knows? Maybe at some <laughs> point. Maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. Awesome. Oh, man. I really, really enjoyed talking to you so far, man. Um, I, I guess now we are getting to the section of the podcast where I ask all my guests the same thing. And this is... You know, I like to end my podcast in this way. So essentially, the first thing I'm going to ask is for you to just give some shout outs to people, show some love. You know, in this busy world, it's often um, we often forget to just throw out some gratitude to people. So, you know, give some shout outs to whoever you want to thank, show some love. Absolutely. You. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost... Big shout out to GT for having me here today. I, I really do appreciate it again. Um, and then beyond that, I think, you know, I, I've spoken about my uncle. Um, a major thank you to him for always being like a huge influence in my life. Thank you to my parents. Um, so there's there's a, a CBS alum, Larry Wade, who, who's been one of my mentors really through this process. And so definitely a huge shout out to him. He's really helped me understand, you know, the value of what we are doing here in a way, like um, wh where you can take it in five years, how much we're all going to grow together as like a cluster and as learning teammates and as like an overall class. So, so that he's really been a huge help. And then I don't know, like it, honestly, a huge shout out to like all of our classmates and specifically to the Hell's Kitchen squad, because I, I would go crazy <laughs> without them. I remember, so it's so bad. It was so bad. We remember when we were having like those Central Park meetups right. early on. So, you know, a few of us met up before, uh, those of us who had been hanging out from Hell's Kitchen. And so we walk up to the park together and we, we had like pre-gamed it a little bit, a little smidge. And so, <laughs> I remember I just walk up to everyone and I'm like, the Hell's Kitchen squad is here. <laughs> and like making that announcement, it was like so clicky and weird at the time. And I was like so cringe about it after. But like those guys are, are um, we're, we're still very tight even as things keep going. So. Shout out to the Hell's Kitchen squad. You know, if, if someone in the CBS community was struggling with something, or needed help with something, what could they reach out to you for help about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so honestly, like one of the biggest things that I pride myself on is like, if I'm available and you need help with something, like I will do my best to make myself available. Like if it's, you know, you need help with a move, you know, if, if, I, if I'm free, I'll come, I'll help you move. I don't, I don't, I, you know, like I think, Part of it is wanting to serve others. I think that's part of why we're here. That's part of what we should aim to do. Um, and, you know, so so that's one thing. I think, you know, if, if you're in a spot where you're, you're feeling down, you need someone to talk to, you need, like, someone to turn to and you don't feel like anyone understands, I, I think 
you know, I, I really make an effort to see the best in people. I think that's one of my best qualities. Um, and so, you know, like if you need someone to chat with about, you know, like you're feeling like, you know, you're in a rut and you're not sure where to turn. Like I, I, I'm always there. I'm my, you can always call me. I'm always down to chat. I know like I've been there as we talked about with like the eating disorder and all that stuff. So I, I, I understand, I empathize and like, I, I'm here for you if you need me. Um, if you need a cheerleader, one of, one of my biggest traits as well is like, it's part of that always seeing the best in people. Like I will try and push you in like the best way possible to be the best that you can, because I believe that like, we all have that capacity and we all need like a cheerleader. Sometimes we all need someone to say like, you know, you're going to accomplish your goals because you are freaking amazing. You know, like you, you are amazing. And so like, I, I really pride myself on that. If you need that, turn to me, I got you. Um, if you need help with accounting, <laughs> I know everyone hates it. I'm so glad I exempted it. But if you need help with accounting, I do have a CPA. I'll try and help out. I'll do what I can. I'm um, literally going to take you up on that offer. Please. Very soon. Please, yeah. please. <laughs> Let me know. I'm happy to help. Um, and then even beyond that as well, like, like one last thing that I've been doing for some of the people in my, in our class that I would love to continue doing. If you need a DJ, I'm down. Amazing. <laughs> I'll have fun with it. I love it. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for that. I really hope people take you up on those offers. Incredible stuff, man. Finally, please give us three book recommendations. Yeah. Okay. So, so two of these are coming direct from Larry. So Larry Wade again, like former director at KPMG, now head of risk for PayPal's new crypto division, um, CBS alum 2015. So he gave me some like reading as I was coming into the program and it was basically like, hey, like these are some books you should read. They'll like get you in the mindset for the MBA. And so one of them that he recommended that I read was called The Obstacle is the Way and it is by Ryan Holiday. And basically what it, what it speaks about is about being able to turn, I mean, it's pretty obvious by the name, but being able to turn these obstacles in your life into moments where you can thrive and succeed and excel. And I think, you know, a lot of us are probably going to hit a wall at some, t at some point, either during this semester or some point during our two years and I think it's about turning that wall into your next success. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter specifically about a point during um, Obama's campaign where it, it was like a very pivotal inflection point. And basically, rather than turning away from the controversy that was ongoing, he leaned into it and, and addressed it within the speech that um, he gave, basically the next speech that he gave. And that speech turned the tide of the, I think it was the primary still at that point, into, you know, he, he is going to be the victor of the primaries. And then eventually, obviously, we know the, the president. So I think that one was really good. Um, there's also Mastery is the second one that Larry uh, mentioned by Robert Greene. And so that one, uh, again, like getting in that MBA mindset, it's about developing for yourself mastery. And I think you know, there's always that saying it, it takes 10,000 hours to become like adept and a master at a skill. And it really, you know, shows examples throughout history from, you know, the Renaissance and like ancient times through present of people that were able to find their calling in one way or another at one point of their lives. And developed through, you know, mentors and through their own hard work and, and knowledge mastery for themselves. And I think that's something that as I move into this next phase after Columbia with like investment banking, I really feel like developing that mastery is something that's like to be strived for in a way. And then the last one that, that I had really thought about, um, so I read this give or take probably a year ago during, during the pandemic. It's called The Code to the Extraordinary Mind. And basically, 
It, it's a doozy, honestly, dude. Like, it, it makes you, like, rethink a lot of your perspectives. And, like, one of the main uh, ideas that the author hits on early on is this idea of, of rules, of of bullshit rules that you have developed for yourself based on, you know, unconscious things, based on your upbringing, based up on, like, the way that you perceive the world. And, it's, and it basically asks you to challenge these and say, you know, why, why do I believe this? Why is this an internal rule? Does this internal rule serve me? And if it doesn't serve me, how do I turn it into something that will serve me and, and, and will, you know, align with my values, but also serve me in a way that, you know, I, I can be the best version of myself moving forward. And so, yeah, great. All three great books would highly recommend. Some people actually do get uncomfortable with the obstacle is not the obstacle of the way the code to the extraordinary mind. Um, so I would I would like dip your toe in if you want to read it and then see if you're open to challenging some of those beliefs. And if you are, then then go through it because I, I think, you know, having that ability to be flexible and and, and rethink and like try and see other perspectives and how others might view the same thing that you see as like a constant in a rule. Um, that's, that's important to challenge our perspectives. Amazing. Love those recommendations. Big holiday fan. Um, you know, this is not the first time like books on stoicism are coming up on the podcast. So I highly um, recommend people to get into that, you know, school of philosophy if you haven't already. And yeah, what a great suggestion. And all three of them, um, I love how they're all kind of um, shifted towards getting ready, thinking, getting through the MBA. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of Before the Come Up, John. It's just been incredible learning about your background, your stories, so interesting. And I'll, I'll give you the final word, but thank you so much. Yeah, just, just want to thank you again, GT, for having me. Like. I, I really enjoy this forum that you've built for all of us. I think it's amazing. It gives us all a nice view into, you know, the different members of our class that we may have not gotten to have a special conversation with yet. I love it. So thank you. Cold summer night, should I put my arm around your shoulder? I'll just hold you. Cause last night I was thinking all these things I'm not supposed to. I guess I didn't see it coming Guess I was afraid of loving someone again